Welcome back to the Anatomy of a Trading Card podcast. On the last episode, we spoke with Goodbye Gulch, formerly known as Allegra Gulch. She was the disgraced former speed custodian for the Chicago White Sox, who was forced to relocate and work for the Anaheim Angels. Today, we're staying in Los Angeles for the season finale of Anatomy of a Trading Card. In fact, we're going to a street that's actually quite familiar to listeners of this podcast. Listeners like you. Across the street from Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak's first Los Angeles-based garage resided a barbershop known as the Stripe Boys Nickels and Hair. It was there where customers would come and go, making idle chit-chat, watching old reruns of Walter Cronkite's news show, and spending their entire haircut trying to decide if they should tip two or three dollars. At the Stripe Boys, guests would feel like family, and that was through a painstaking, effortful endeavor by the shop's lead barber, Ro Canerco. We speak now with the father of Ro Canerco. Ro was always a good son, you know. If I needed him to get groceries, he'd do it. If I needed him to get me some itchy tickets, he wouldn't say another word about it. He'd march right down to that convenience store. That's how we did it in Chicago, greatest city in the world. We're the only ones who ever raised our kids right, the right way. We taught them how you treat adults with respect, even when you're nine years old and you don't know how to parallel park at the gas station. I think that's because Chicago is all about the immigrant experience. We're an Italian city. I mean, we might as well be Rome or Roma. Only difference is that our empire won't be toppled by some shitty pizza. Our pizza has a rim and a bowl to it, a natural bowl to the rim. That's how you know it's a good one, because it's different. And all of our last names end in vowels in Italy. Italy, Junior, that's what I call Chicago. I mean, it's weird, right? Tortellini, rigatoni, those are just pastas. But they could be surnames, too. If you were at Ellis Island, and all you noticed was Food Network Challenge on the TV in the corner, do we still have Ellis Island? What's the Chicago equivalent of that? That fateful day, that picture day, Brian Downing and Goodbye Gulch were not the only Chicago transplants trying to find a place for themselves in Los Angeles. Roe Canerco was the first member of his family to break out of the Chicago lifestyle. Troubled by the notion that he would get stuck at a playing card factory like his patriarchal ancestors before him, Roe Canerco skipped out of Illinois the minute he got his degree in hair. Unable to afford a barber shop in the cradle of Silicon Valley, Roe Canerco instead opened up a shop across the street from a garage-laden boulevard in Los Angeles. Ultimately, things just sort of worked out for Roe Canerco until he was arrested and sentenced to life in prison for a crime he still maintains he did not commit. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't commit the crime. What are, you, what are you currently serving your sentence for, if you don't mind my asking? Okay, well, they say I did murder and assault, but... I tell them that the only murder that happened that day was my fandom for the Chai Sox, huh? You're a White Sox fan. Correction. I was a White Sox fan. I was. They lost me that day that Brian Downey showed up to my barbershop. And that was picture day? Oh, it was that picture day? <laughs> Man, you're a, you're a quick on the... You're quick on the... Uh, 
Oh, okay. Forget about it. Click on the uptake? Yeah, that's the one. I can't say words like that too good, huh? Uptake? Yeah. It's just uptake. Yeah, click on the, uh, that thing you said. Uptake. Yeah. No, 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 say uptake. No, I don't want to. Why not? Because I can't say words like that. I told you. Why not? Because I can't say words with that sound. Wait, you physically can't say words that end in ache? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, or anything that rhymes with it, huh? Why? That's so weird. I know, I know. I never found out why. I just can't make my tongue do it. Okay, geez, fine. Uh, um, so, uh, I guess, so what happened on picture day then, Ro? Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Well, picture day was like any other day at the Stripe Boys, okay, right? We were just cutting hair, and we didn't have a care in the world, all right? Most stories with tragic endings, they, they seem to always start that way, you know what I mean? Anyway, we were all hanging out, you know, telling stories about the big game, right? When suddenly, who comes in? Boom. Mr. Brian Downing himself, the star catcher, that big baboo himself, Mr. Gerbron. Oh, you know, I, I gave him the royal treatment, all right? Sat him right there in the throne and gave him a cape. Like a barbershop chair and a smock? Hey, I'm telling a story, okay? And I only got 15 minutes until the guards put me back in my cell, all right? So listen up. Anyway, Brian comes in, right? All right? And I started asking him about all the ball games and all that. I could not believe my luck. Me. Ro Canerco. I actually was talking to a member of the White Sox. A member of the White Sox, okay? I had a Brian Downing jersey in the back. It was mis- it was a misprinted jersey, okay? But, you know, it came with the collar for some reason, and it had the wrong number on the back, but it was 10 bucks, so that this is a steal. I bought it, okay? I don't care about the collars. I thought maybe he'd sign it. I'd, I'd say, okay, if I was lucky, he, he'd probably even wear it, get the scent on it, you know? But after that day... He started telling me about how that was the picture day, and he had to go to, uh, to, uh... To take pictures? Yeah, right, right, right. Shoot pictures. Yep. So he wanted a nice, nice, crisp haircut. So he looked, you know, immaculate, as good as possible in the truck. Well, I started cutting, and I used a number seven, and everything was going good. We kept chatting. I stopped running the razor every now and then just to hear what he was saying, you know. And about halfway through the cut... He stopped me and he just started screaming. All right. I said, I said, Mr. Downing, what's wrong? And he said, he started saying that the haircut looked terrible and that he couldn't imagine the trading card going any worse than it was. I said, I said, I wasn't done yet. But I, I said, I wasn't done. That wasn't it. But he was listening. Okay. He got up, started shouting about how I'd never cut hair in this town again. And I was just, I was just flabbergasted, flummoxed. Okay. My suit barber started coming to my defense. And before he knew it, he just leaned back and boom. Clock Brian right in the jaw, okay? Ooh, I started screaming at the top of my lungs, right? I tried to pull him off off of Brian, and my razor slipped over. I fell down, and before he knew it again, boom again, all right? I'd sat right down on his neck with the razor, inside his throat, and my best buddy was dead, okay? Oh, 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 I just, I just started about to cry, okay? <laughs> Brian was freaking out. He was yelling, and, and he was yelling on the ground. He landed kind of wrong on the barber chair. And he said, you, you broke my arm. You broke my arm. I told him, you killed my friend. Okay. And we were all, we was all screaming. We was all screaming and, and nothing made sense. Did you, did you break his arm? Did I shatter his arm? I don't know. It all happened so fast. I, I, ran, I ran to the back to grab my jersey from him to make up for what he had done. 
And he just grabbed it, spit in my face, went running out the door. Didn't even leave any money. No tip, no... God, the cheap... The cheap... Uh, the cheap miser man, okay? You know, but as you can see, everything was clearly an incident provoked by Brian. Alright? I didn't do nothing wrong. Huh? And yet, here I am. I'm here in prison. And let me just say, there was no payphone outside of that Best Buy neither. In a desperate attempt to set his fracture, Brian Downing grabbed a nearby broomstick and fashioned a splint from it. Instead of using the wooden pole, however, Downing fashioned the splint from the bristles of the broom. He claimed that bristles always made him feel ticklish, and he reasoned that the tickling sensation of the bristles against his skin would distract him from the searing pain inside of his shattered arm. He then proceeded to wrap the bristles in scotch tape from the nearby cashier's desk in the barber shop. When taping the pile of bristles to his arm, he struggled due to the fact that he had only one hand to use. The taped pile of bristles missed the fracture altogether, prompting Brian to rip the tape off. Eyewitnesses reported screaming and crying at the pain, as well as a veiled comment from Brian when he said, It's fine. It's fine. Hair pain is different from bone pain. Hair isn't bones. I promise. I don't think hair is bones. Guys, is hair bones. Feeling discouraged about his splint, Brian instead reached for the nearest roll of gauze, wrapping the entirety of it around his arm, and then sprayed it with hairspray, claiming it would set the cast right because he'd seen it once on an episode of Royal Pains, which had not yet been released for another four decades. He then stumbled out of the barber shop and made his way across the street to Steve Wozniak. Steve and I are just sitting out in the garage, letting that cool Silicon Valley breeze blow in, just having a good time. Two buds, two best friends. He was my best friend, and he always told me I was his. He said he was going to go grab some boxes, that's what I call juice boxes anyway, for us, and I said okay. Then suddenly, this tattered man comes running over to our garage from the barbershop. His clothes are hanging off him. He's bloody, tattered, bruised. The glasses on his face are just in pieces. I immediately got up and put my arm around him and asked, Hey buddy, are you okay? He just kind of caught his breath and looked up and said, Hey man, can you do me a solid? And you know me, I'll do anything for my best friends. So I said, sure. He said it was picture day and he was in desperate need to get to the ballpark to get some photos taken. I asked him what team he played for and he said White Sox and I was pretty sure that he was far from Comiskey Field. He said they were using a green screen and just got a substitute in any background they wanted for the trading card. I thought that was remarkable. I mean, I had no idea they had green screens that were invented before computers. So I said to him, what do you need, a ride? Brian sort of waved me off and said he needed something like a baseball uniform. I told him we didn't really have anything of the sort around the garage parts. I guess his uniform was ruined and wouldn't have been any good for a baseball game. I brought him into the garage and asked if anything could be at least passable for a trading card. He nodded and pointed to the white turtleneck we had hanging up, waiting to be put in the wash. No sooner did I take it down and give it to him than when he went sprinting off into the street, hot-wired a parked car, and drove off. He threw some shirt in the back seat and sped right off. I never knew where he went, actually. Well, I guess it would have been to the ballpark. But Steve was livid. He came storming out into the garage and demanded to know where his white turtleneck was. I said, Steve, I had to give it to a man in need. He had no clothes. Steve told me it was his favorite shirt. I didn't really get it because he'd only ever worn it once. But he told me he was going to wear it to the unveiling of the next product launch we had planned for Apple. So what did I tell him? I said, Steve, you're just going to have to wear the black one. 
Driving a car with one arm proved to be difficult for Downing, and he promptly drove his car into the backyard of a teenager who had just arrived home from his job at the local department store East-West Shop and Swap. He was desperate to wash his hands as he had been assigned to the toy department for the day, and he felt it was germ-ridden and that toys were not his calling. Feeling clean, the teenager took his book on the history of dental repair into the backyard to read it in peace from his hammock, when the car crash occurred only centimeters from him. When the teenager moved to question the Downing, Downing fled, to a house across the street which he must have recognized as his brother Ballcaps and his sister-in-law, Felicity Frontdoors. Me and Ballcap were about to have it out in the garage when that doorbell rang. We could hear Brian yelling from the garage. He seemed like he was out of breath and desperate for something. We could hardly pay it any mind before we could head to the front door, though. We heard him run to the garage door and press the button. No sooner did I yell, No, wait! <laughs> then that garage door did open, snapping the net tinted glasses and sending all those pairs scattered on the floor. Oh, I just about cried, I did. We stared at each other for a minute or two, and then sure... Enough. Brian picked up one of those glasses and said, You're not going to believe this, but my glasses just broke and I need an emergency pair. Today's picture day. I gave a big laugh I did. I said, Picture day? I reckon that's for yearbooks. Did you spittoon a frog or something? But then, as sure as you can believe it, Ballcap stepped in and he told Brian he'd get him a quote unquote normal pair of glasses to wear for the shoot. I put my foot down right there. Uh-uh. I said that. Uh-uh. No way. No, please. Brian, wear one of my tinted glasses pairs. Please, it wouldn't mean much more to me than a June bug could ever. Ballcap stepped in and said Brian wouldn't be caught dead in one of those pairs. I said he might be caught living just as much as he was living in the garage, flesh and blood breathing right there. And... He could wear those tinted glasses, and if it didn't go well, I swore up and down that I'd never take care again. Anyway, Brian gave me a big, warm smile, and he picked up one of them pairs and that had shattered and put them on and said, This'll do just fine, I reckon. He walked round to us and patted Balcap on the shoulder and gave me a big old kiss on the cheek and said, Thanks, sis. Welcome to the family. He went running off with them glasses, and you could finally see where he was going again. And me, not only did I finally feel like a downing, I felt like an in innovator. New pair of sunglasses, spare collar jersey, and turtleneck in tow, Brian Downing set off for Anaheim Stadium, desperate to make picture day on time. He had missed picture day in 1976 at Fenway Park, coincidentally, because of another haircut appointment. I was just sitting in my car, and he came sprinting through the lot. His pants were all tattered, and his glasses were incomprehensible. And he had this bulky white turtleneck on. I wasn't even sure he was a baseball player, to be honest, but I tracked him down when he got to the front of the Anaheim Stadium, and the gates were locked. I said to him, You here for picture day? He told me he was and asked if there was any way I could unlock the gate. Just out of curiosity, I asked him what team he played on, and as soon as he said the White Sox, I knew I had to stick it to him, like like some sort of white gel that would make things sticky. I, I don't know. Anyway, I let him in. I have keys to every baseball stadium. And he rushed in, and he grabbed the White Sox hat and put it on his head before I could say anything. 
God, he was just massive on him. He looked like Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes. I just felt embarrassed. And yet, as big as it was, it made his hair flop out and frame his hair like he was a stern woman from a Jurassic Park movie. It was a disaster. He looked terrible. No one would want his trading card. But he had no choice. He had to go to the green screen on the diamond. Don't, don't ask me why. And he started posing real nice and pretty for the cameraman who was just shaking his head. I remember the photographer said he couldn't photograph a baseball player in ripped pants, tinted glasses, an oversized hat, a turtleneck, and a cast. It just wouldn't work. I stepped in. I was afraid for my job. And asked why not. He said, he needs a jersey. I was surprised. That's it? I said. I couldn't believe it wasn't a thousand other things wrong with the guy. Nope. All he needed was a jersey. I thought I was toast for sure. There was no chance that Seacrest would have a spare downing jersey. So you can imagine my surprise when he took a deep breath and said, fine. And he jogged back to the car where he parked, very erratically, I might never mind you. He came back with this bizarre White Sox jersey that had a collar on it. It was ill-fitting and weird, but hey, he already had the hat. They had me help him position a bat on his cast. I stepped out of frame and they took the picture. Believe it or not, the trading card you see is actually the best one. They took 60 pictures. That's the only one that came out semi-decently. But hey, you're here asking me about it, so it must have come out pretty good. Myriad photos are taken of baseball players every year for thousands of baseball cards. Most of these cards will be forgotten long after their packs have been opened. Sports-obsessed kids will comb through the stacks, desperate to see their favorite players or the rarest cards. Eventually, the trading card industry did lose that special kind of magic. Now, kids can buy a pack of cards that have every active player in them. No more packs of six, no more searching. When every card is the same, is any card special? And yet, despite everything wrong with it, despite everything about the photo that has nothing to do with the greatest game ever played, Brian Downing's 1977 Topps trading card has been remembered. He's not behind the plate. He's not even at the plate. He's standing in front of a green screen in Anaheim. His clothes are too warm. His hair is too ugly. His glasses too confusing. His arm too broken. But in his eyes, there is a spirit. A spirit that connected with every kid who had a Downing trading card. The spirit that makes baseball just a little more magical, a little more plausible for fantasy movies starring Kevin Costner to be crafted around it. Brian Downing has touched one podcast maker, and he touched the people he encountered in his life, like Steve Wozniak. I remember, I thought about Brian Downing during every Apple presentation after Steve came back to the company. He always gave me special treatment that made me feel cute. But he'd be up there in his black turtleneck, and I knew that the future was only possible because of Brian Downing. Wherever you are, Brian, thank you. And to the Apple II team. Or Ro Canerco. Sometimes I miss the game. They don't let us watch it in the clink eater. I miss the old five championship. I mean, I doubt I'd have cared, but still, you know? I'd have liked to have found out for myself. But am I happy? I guess. I don't know. I've met a lot of friends. I got a master's degree in here. You believe that? It's not ideal, but it taught me a lot about myself. Okay? It wouldn't have happened without Brian. And I mean, granted, 
my buddy, my buddy would still be alive. But without Brian, he would still be alive without Brian. Okay. But M's the brakes. Wait. Did I just say it? Did I just say brakes? Brakes. Oh my God. Brakes. Oh my God. Yes. This is amazing. Oh my God. Make, break, ache, cake. Or goodbye gulch. Yeah, people still call me goodbye. But I'm happy now. If it wasn't for Brian Downing's head being so cartoonishly small with an already oversized hat, I'd have never been fired. I'd never started my own fruit basket company. Custom gifts and fruits on sticks and little fruit-filled bouquets of fruits. I wasn't the name of my company. But let's just say it rhymes with... Or Felicity Front Door. I still have that trading card in my little down-home cooking box of mementos. I do. It's right next to a couple pair of them tint lenses. I never did worry about upsetting Bullcap again after what Brian did for me on that trading card. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget him. Or me. Dave Wilrout. My favorite team, the Red Sox, traded away Mookie Betts this past season. Just recently, the Houston Astros' zero-to-hero journey was made fraudulent. The game loses fans and ratings every year. This year, the game might lose an entire season. But when I look at Brian Downing, I remember why I love baseball. No other sport would have one of its star players so desperate to get to picture day. He caused a small rift in his own brother's marriage. He changed the future of technology forever. He saved the job of one stadium custodian. He saw a man die. And despite it all, despite the broken arm and the tattered apparel and the razor that went into that one guy's neck, he knew he had to get to picture day. Because to some kid out there, baseball cards matter. Baseball matters. And so does Brian Downing. Thank you, everyone for listening to the Anatomy of a Trading Card podcast. Thank you to to Ryan Foley, um, my, my hero, for providing music for the show, and to all of the sound creators who will be credited and thanked in the show notes for every episode. Thank you to Juliana Gallagher, Hector Servin, Sam Berman, and Kristen Leachow for lending their talents to this fictional reality and for being the most amazing collaborators I could have ever hoped for. Um, thank you to Brian Downing, of course, um, the inspiration for all of us, really. Um, thank you to, 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 to Mike, Michael Shore, to, um, to Joe Posnanski, uh, of course, as they hosted the Pause cast um, that provided the inspiration for this idea on the episode with Gary Gullman. Um, and most of all, thank you to the Apple II team.